This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of healthcare. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to value listeners, did you know that musculoskeletal care is one of the biggest challenges facing the value transformation of healthcare? Musculoskeletal healthcare spending is rising at an unsustainable rate, having doubled in the last decade. And many of these procedures, such as knee replacements and spinal fusions, contribute to overspending on care that isn't even needed, as it's been estimated that only 50% of MSK procedures are evidence-based. The rising cost of musculoskeletal care is now a top cost driver for employers and health plans. Yet despite rising costs, MSK outcomes for members haven't gotten better over these last 10 years. Studies are showing that despite a dramatic increase in healthcare expenditures for patients with back and neck problems over the last decade, there has not been a corresponding improvement in patient clinical outcomes. In short, we're spending more money but that has not correlated with better musculoskeletal health. And we're in dire need of a value-based revolution in the provision of orthopedic care. The current system's broken. Studies have demonstrated that common approaches to MSK care, such as surgery, imaging, injections, and opioids, do not effectively resolve back and joint pain. And the challenges of escalating costs associated with such low value are simply too big to ignore. Listeners, there's a better way. And this week on The Race to Value, we interview two of the leading innovators in orthopedic value-based care. In this special episode, we'll begin with an interview with Dr. Kevin Bozick, the Chair of Surgery and Perioperative Care at the Dell Medical School at the University of Texas at Austin. He's an internationally recognized leader in orthopedic surgery and value-based healthcare payment and delivery models, and currently serves on the Board of Directors for the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. It's a clear signal from the AAOS that the specialty is moving into the value-based care arena. Our second interview on the podcast is with Dr. Keon Rizadeh, the CEO and co-founder of Lavara and SpineZone. He's an orthopedic surgeon who's created an innovative orthopedic care management system for payers, providers, and health systems to unify the patient experience and transition to orthopedic value-based care. And if you want to learn more about orthopedic value-based care and hear from these two leaders in person, it's not too late to register for the OVBC, the largest conference on value-based care in orthopedics, convening in Las Vegas at the Four Seasons Hotel later this month. 
So let's now hear first from Dr. Kevin Bozick to learn how creating and delivering value in orthopedic care can be achieved by changing the delivery model where patients are at the center and all professionals involved function at the top of their license. He is the leading voice in the nation for the transition to a multidisciplinary integrated care model for the management of musculoskeletal disease. Dr. Bozick, welcome to the Race to Value. We're so honored to have you on the show this week. Thanks for having me. Well, Dr. Bozick, I heard you speak once at a Dell Medical School executive education session, and you stated that our primary problem in healthcare is not actually cost, quality, or access. Instead, we have just lost our sight of our true north. The healthcare system is simply not trying to produce greater health for our patients per dollar spent. And at the Musculoskeletal Institute at UT Health Austin, you've created what's called an integrated practice unit model. And it's based on the seminal conceptual work by Porter and Ticeberg that is designed to maximize patient outcomes for a wide range of musculoskeletal conditions while also simultaneously calculating costs and resource utilization. And the IPU or the integrated practice unit provides 360 degree care to meet the physical, emotional, and social needs of patients with a variety of common conditions such as back pain, fractures, ligament tears, and hip and knee osteoarthritis. And it organizes care in a way where providers and services are built around segments of patients who share specific medical needs with care delivered through inner and multidisciplinary teams. And in this integrated practice unit care delivery model, patients don't have to navigate the system on their own and all the professionals involved delivering care are practicing to the top of their license. So Dr. Bozik, can you provide us with an overview of the Musculoskeletal Institute and how it functions as an integrated practice unit? And how does your multidisciplinary integrated care model for the management of MSK conditions align with the tenets of value-based care? Sure. Well, thank you for the question and thanks for including me on the podcast. When I had the opportunity to start a new um, clinical program in Austin under the auspices of UT Health Austin at Dell Medical School, I really got together with my team and my mentors and thought about what would deliver the most value to patients and society, what type of delivery model. So a typical model would be an orthopedic surgery practice where as a chair of a department, I would hire orthopedic surgeons, and then I would go out and find people for them to operate on. And what we quickly realized when we look at musculoskeletal care and the current state of musculoskeletal care in this country, first of all, musculoskeletal conditions are prevalent, and they are costly, both in terms of economic cost and in terms of impact on quality of life and productivity of generally very active members of society. And so it, it is a condition ripe for some sort of disruption to the way that we deliver care and pay for care. And what we realize is the vast majority of patients with musculoskeletal conditions do not require or benefit from surgery. And so having orthopedic surgeons who are extremely well-trained, highly trained in surgical techniques are not 
in the best position, uh, nor is it in their best interest in terms of, of job satisfaction and return on investment of their time to be doing primary musculoskeletal care. So in today's world, most of that musculoskeletal care is done in a, a primary care physician's office. Uh, and when they, and primary care physicians have obviously extensive uh, array of conditions and knowledge for which they are responsible uh, and when they throw their hands up and say, I don't know what else to do, the next stop is an orthopedic surgeon, which never made sense to me. It would be as if we would say, you know, if I had a headache, my first stop would be a neurosurgeon. There needs to be a layer in there to provide primary musculoskeletal care. So our musculoskeletal uh, institute fills that void. And then when we think about what is needed to staff a musculoskeletal medical home, you look at what are the comorbid conditions that go along with musculoskeletal, chronic musculoskeletal disease. And they are things like anxiety and depression, which are extremely prevalent in patients with chronic musculoskeletal conditions, yet rarely are clinicians that have experience in treating those conditions integrated or co-located in any way with people that treat musculoskeletal disease. Obesity and uh, weight issues are extremely common in patients with chronic musculoskeletal conditions, yet rarely are people that um, know anything about the treatment of obesity or weight management in general co-located or integrated in any way with uh, clinicians that treat musculoskeletal disease. So we put together a team that includes primary care musculoskeletal physicians, including advanced practice providers who have specialized training in musculoskeletal disease and conditions, physical therapists who see about 60 plus percent of our patients who are then charged with activating our patients and getting them engaged in healthier behaviors and lifestyle, including exercise and healthy living. Uh, we have dietitians on our team that help people uh, address uh, issues related to their weight and, and adopt a healthier diet. And then we have social workers who diagnose and treat both uh, social risk factors, such as homelessness, substance abuse, alcoholism, uh, smoking, food insecurity, health literacy issues, as well as their dual trained in cognitive behavioral therapy who can help us address comorbid anxiety and depression that frequently goes along with musculoskeletal illness. And we bring all of those people together in a way that allows us to provide integrated care for patients with musculoskeletal disease where they can receive all of that care uh, under one roof um, by one team with the same tax ID and the same electronic health record. Dr. Bozik, clinical leaders from the Musculoskeletal Institute are contributors to the national conversation on achieving high-value, low-cost care. You, along with your colleagues, Dr. Carl Koenig, who's the medical director of the Musculoskeletal Institute, and Dr. Prakash Jayakumar, who's the director of value-based care and outcome measurement, routinely serve as invited experts to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation to further its work on condition-based bundled payments for osteoarthritis of the hip and knee. And there's a great opportunity to drive value through payment reform for MSK conditions that align financial incentives that spawn care delivery innovation of IPUs. And procedure-based bundles will only get so far. However, the real opportunity lies in redesigning care across the continuum, changing payment incentives through condition-based bundles. 
With MSK procedures comprising about 20% of overall healthcare spending and only 50% of those procedures being evidence-based, condition-based bundles are a tremendous innovation opportunity for payment transformation and care delivery innovation for our country. I'd love to hear your perspective on what is coming next with bundle payments for musculoskeletal conditions. And given the irrefutable data that illustrates the potential of bundles providing a financial incentive to coordinate care, how should hospitals and orthopedic groups be thinking about bundled payments in their financial strategy and operations planning? Yeah, great question. So first of all, I've been involved in some version of bundle payments for musculoskeletal conditions since about 2008. I was involved in some uh, commercial bundles with uh, large employers and commercial payers then uh, was an early adopter of uh, the BPCI program, have been involved in the CJR program and the BPCI advanced program, as well as have uh, research grants to evaluate the impact of those programs. And I think what we learned from those programs is by bundling payments for an episode of care, in this case, hip and knee replacement or spine surgery, it forced uh, or incentivized greater coordination and integration of care across the episode from the preoperative uh, phase, including preoperative optimization to the in-facility phase, whether it be surgical procedure or the uh, inpatient post-acute care to um, post-discharge care, which could be um, either in an inpatient facility, such as a skilled nursing facility or an inpatient rehab facility, or also uh, outpatient post-acute care. And by coming together as a group, all of those different clinicians who are involved in all phases of that care, we learned that we could actually modify care pathways in a way that would lead to uh, lower overall costs with not only the same, but potentially better clinical outcomes. And an example where most of the effort was spent was eliminating discharge to inpatient post-acute care, which was very prevalent on the order of 40-50% of primary joint replacement patients just a little over a decade ago to less than 5 or even less than 3% today. What that resulted in was a very slight reduction in the overall episode spend, but what has been coined uh, quote, no detrimental impact on patient outcomes. And although that is in and of itself impressive, anytime you can reduce costs in healthcare, it's nothing to um, take for granted. That said, uh, I don't think the juice was worth the squeeze in terms of the level of effort that was put into procedure-based bundles for hip and knee arthroplasty and spine surgery procedures. What we realized when we step back and look at where the opportunities were, um, what we realized is the big opportunity was in addressing the continuum of uh, care across the spectrum of disease from early diagnosis to prevention uh, of progression of disease to lifestyle modifications um, to various non-surgical and in some cases surgical interventions. And when you only look at that terminal event, that surgical procedure, you're only capturing a very small percentage of the population with musculoskeletal conditions and you are not doing anything to address um, the appropriateness of that surgical uh, procedure in the first place. So by moving upstream to what we call condition-based payment models, 
where we are um, incentivizing the coordination of care and management across the spectrum of disease with the type of professionals that I just um, described to you, we then have the opportunity to redesign care in a way that allows us to achieve better health outcomes. And again, the health outcomes in this case are pain, functional status, quality of life, which need to be measured rigorously when it comes to musculoskeletal conditions. And we do a relatively poor job of that today as a professional community that is charged with managing musculoskeletal conditions and doing that in a way that improves health outcomes that over the long term reduce the overall cost of managing musculoskeletal disease. Why? Because health is inherently less expensive than disease. So I always point out to people when we talk about value in healthcare, we're talking about improving health outcomes in ways that over time reduce the cost of healthcare because health is inherently less expensive than disease. We are not talking about reducing the cost of quote unquote delivering healthcare because as my colleagues, uh, Scott Wallace and Elizabeth Teisberg from our Value Institute for Health here at UT Austin like to say, if there is no improvement in health, value is zero. And so again, when we talk about value in healthcare, we're talking about improving health in ways that over time reduces the cost of healthcare. And we believe that our payment and delivery model align the incentives of, of our, our clinicians with the interests of their patients. Dr. Bozig, you've been an advocate over these last few years for patient reported outcomes and measuring and reporting outcomes in a way that involves the patient. It gives the interdisciplinary care team within an IPU a critical tool for accelerating learning. And you've been advocating for these for quite some time. And, you know, these are measures that can be measured during and after care, thereby linking measurement to the fundamental reasons why the patient's seeking healthcare rather than measuring proxies for quality. And patient reported outcomes are really the holy grail of quality metrics and a key component of the value equation. And patients often care most about their pain and function. So these outcomes must be measured. And you've talked about in the past how a corollary scenario to orthopedic surgeons not collecting patient reported outcomes is like a cardiologist treating hypertension without taking a patient's blood pressure. The data collected from these uh, surveys can be quantified to reach an actual measurement using scientifically validated tools. And these patient reported outcome measurements show whether a patient actually improved both functionally and mentally as a result of the procedure. And that's really the North Star, how a patient actually benefits from the care and treatment provided. So can you provide our listeners with a better understanding of patient reported outcomes and their importance in value-based care delivery? And how have patient reported outcomes been used within your musculoskeletal IPU to improve patient outcomes? Appreciate the question. Obviously, when you're in the business of treating musculoskeletal conditions, the vast majority of time that we uh, interact with people who have musculoskeletal conditions, it's because they have some impact on their pain, quality of life, and function. And they don't come to see us for any other reason than to reduce their pain and improve their function and quality of life. And since we have validated tools to measure those things, it's never made sense to me that as a specialty, we haven't put more effort into really drilling down on and focusing on better understanding someone's baseline 
health, including both their physical and mental health, and how various interventions impact physical and mental health. And so um, since we have validated tools to measure pain, functional status, quality of life, and mental health, um, incorporating those into the daily clinical workflow um, is critically important to delivering understanding and being able to measure and deliver value to patients. In our practice, we use them in a variety of different ways from uh, understanding someone's baseline health uh, to triaging patients to the appropriate types of clinicians and um, care pathways to tracking their uh, outcomes as it relates to different interventions, to understanding um, the efficacy and effectiveness of different interventions, uh, and then as a surveillance tool to understand when patients are in trouble and may need to interface with the healthcare system. I would say of those, the most important and impactful for me individually as a clinician and my team has been understanding a patient's baseline pain, functional status, quality of life, and mental health. Someone walking into our practice with a complaint of knee pain, shoulder pain, back pain, arm pain, leg pain, it's incredibly important for us to understand from their perception where they are today, correlate that with some of the physical findings and other objective evidence, such as imaging and physical exam findings, and then use that in uh, as a tool to inform shared medical decision-making. And specifically, the way that we do that in our practice is by understanding someone's baseline um, physical and mental health, as well as their demographic characteristics, including their age, uh, gender, socioeconomic status, as well as their clinical characteristics, including their body mass index, other comorbid conditions that they have. We can compare those th those very features with other patients who are in similar circumstances and then thereby predict what that patient's likelihood is of improvement with various treatments, including both non-surgical and surgical treatments. Giving patients that information and discussing that with them um, at the time of the initial visit helps inform their decisions and our decisions about what the most appropriate and likely most effective treatment is for their condition at this very state in time in terms of their overall health and demographic situation. Dr. Bozlik, you have a distinguished record of service to your profession, which has culminated to your current appointment as the first vice president of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Now, I'm excited for your leadership in this role, given your exceptional work as a national leader in orthopedic care innovation. Your service to the AAOS will assuredly lead to other orthopedic surgeons becoming trusted leaders in advancing value-based musculoskeletal health. In an address to the Academy earlier this year, you talked about leadership, and you paraphrased the Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu by saying the following, a leader is best when people barely know they exist. When their work is done, their aims fulfilled, the people will say, we did it ourselves. In other words, our biggest challenge as leaders is to make ourselves invisible to those whom we are called upon to serve while helping our respective organizations achieve their goals. Dr. Bozik, as we wrap up the conversation today, can you provide us with your parting thoughts on the importance of leadership in the progression of value-based care and the role that AAOS will play in this national movement? I have always felt that 
many stakeholders from clinicians to health systems to payers, purchasers, policymakers, and most notably patients have expressed frustration with our the current state of the U.S. healthcare system. And frequently, we are turning to others to help find solutions to those problems. You have to look no further than our elections to uh, really understand how much emphasis and faith we're putting in the, the U.S. Um, political system and policymakers to solve these problems. I don't think that um, anyone is as well positioned as physicians to address the challenges that we face in U.S. healthcare. And I think that our patients inherently trust us much more than they trust any of the other stakeholders in the U.S. healthcare system to solve these problems. But it's going to take us um, standing up and fighting for change rather than fighting for preserving the status quo. And I think in doing so, we as physicians can be put at a significant advantage, not just in terms of our own uh, well-being, which is extremely important and something that's often overlooked is our well-being uh, as physicians and the impact that the current state of the U.S. healthcare system is having on our well-being, but also in our ability to align our incentives with our patients' incentives. But again, as I said, it's going to take strong leadership in stepping up and being willing to actually advocate for and lead change. Uh, and I think that we're well positioned to do that because there are many, many physicians that have an interest in leadership and have already demonstrated leadership in their local regional uh, or national setting. So I'm very bullish on the future and I'm very encouraged um, and excited to step into my role as president of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and have the honor of serving our 39,000 members and their patients uh, and really harnessing and, and leveraging that leadership that exists uh, today. Thanks again for the opportunity. Appreciate you um, being along uh, and, and helping us uh, in this journey to try to deliver greater value to patients. Well, let's now move to our second interview in this week's episode. Dr. Keon Rizadeh left his lucrative career as a lead physician and orthopedic surgeon at Kaiser Permanente because he felt that he could have a bigger impact on bone and joint health if he started his own company. After realizing that he and his coworkers overtreated patients, by as much as 60%, Keon became passionate in finding a value-based solution to reverse the trend. And he always had entrepreneurial aspirations, and they became a reality when he founded SpineZone. And SpineZone now has three large medical groups referring patients. They have six years of data from personalizing back pain treatments and thousands of satisfied pain-free customers. And Building off of that success with SpineZone, in late 2022, Lovara was founded. And Lovara is an interdisciplinary orthopedic whole health company that partners with payers, providers, and health systems to deliver comprehensive, non-operative orthopedic treatment that's rooted in the biopsychosocial philosophy of care. This is another great interview to end our discussion on value-based orthopedic care. Well, Keon, welcome to the Race to Value. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Eric, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. What a great topic and look forward to today's conversation. 
Absolutely. And I, I really am excited about this topic. This is the first time at Race to Value that we've really had a value-based orthopedic care episode. And, and, you know, what a place, what an opportunity. Wow. You know, healthcare is about 20% of our economy. And you look at musculoskeletal procedures, that's 20% of overall healthcare spending, but only 50% of MSK procedures are evidence-based. So what that comes down to about 2% of the entire U.S. economy, not just healthcare, but the overall economy is wasted on non-evidence-based musculoskeletal procedures that add no value. And it's a significant driver of costs in our healthcare system. I mean, we're seeing orthopedic care racking up $400 billion a year and growing. The cost of musculoskeletal procedures are doubling. They've doubled over the last decade. I mean, studies have demonstrated that common approaches to MSK care like surgery, imaging, injections, opioids – often don't effectively resolve back and joint pain. And then employer benefits leaders and health plans are trying to solve this problem and try to come up with new approaches to MSK care, you know, just to address some of the upward pressures that they're seeing on costs. And there's really this newfound urgency that we're seeing in the marketplace. And it's a tremendous opportunity. I'm sure that, you know, I'd love to hear your perspective on what you recognize in, in terms of value-based orthopedic care. I mean, it, it's just a great opportunity given the spiraling costs and some of the ill-advised over-treatment that we're seeing. And I, I'd love to explore your company's solution later on in our conversation. But first, you know, if you could help us set the stage to get the bigger picture, can you discuss why there is a need for a complete transformation of orthopedic care in the current model of fragmented and uncoordinated reactive care delivery? And then what is it that you saw as a practicing orthopedic surgeon at Kaiser Permanente years ago that made you recognize that there was an entrepreneurial opportunity to create a better way? Yeah, I think you framed it quite well. And I think the urgency is around, as you mentioned, it is unsustainable from a cost perspective. And as a practicing orthopedic surgeon, I saw firsthand from a patient perspective, the huge opportunity. We were trained as orthopedic surgeons to address musculoskeletal problems. And I noticed in my practice early on that we really had great solutions to only a really narrow set of problems, but we were perceived as the experts to have the solutions to all of the musculoskeletal problems. And, and year after year, I saw that there were so many modifiable factors that were not addressed and patients remained really unhappy. And there was an imaging study that showed a finding and they, a year into non-operative treatment or oftentimes much less, they're really desperate for a procedure because they feel that's the only hope for them. And so I think it was a multi-year process to see this is not anything more than the system really needing a complete overhaul. Surgeons want to do the right thing. Um, doctors want to do the right thing. Patients want to get better. But we're fundamentally not structured in a way and we're not investing correctly in the patient's best interest. And, and if we did do that, we could radically change the cost curve. And most importantly, other than the, the spend, which is astronomical, as you highlighted, we could create a radically new patient experience that gives patients what they need, allows their own body to heal themselves, which the vast majority of time you do not need surgical intervention. And we create an, if, if we were to create an environment around um, the patients that they could change these factors, not only will we get their musculoskeletal pain better, 
but will radically change all aspects of their life. So that that was what excited me when I was a, a surgeon at, at Kaiser for seven years. That perspective got me really excited. And that's, that's what got me to leave medicine back in 2014 to, to take this path. Well, Keon, more than half of the American population suffers from back, shoulder, knee, and other joint pain. And we know MSK represents one-fifth of all spending in the U.S. healthcare market. But the industry continues to perpetuate a broken care delivery model. And the barrier to true value-based care in musculoskeletal conditions is the absolute fragmentation of care delivered to the patient. But your company is addressing this disjointed and uncoordinated model of care that's so predominant. It's always confronting the orthopedic industry head-on by addressing the elephant in the room in that most patients don't need surgery. And your company offers a fully integrated pathway for orthopedic care that includes ongoing maintenance, support to stay healthy long after the injury. It also treats the whole patient, not just a single condition, by creating a patient care pathway that includes pain psychology tools to understand pain, surgeon guidance to ensure compliance, clinical rounding to ensure patient progress on goals, alcohol cessation counseling, opioid weaning, evidence-based physical therapy, nutritional coaching, and mindfulness to improve the mindset of the patients related to recovery. This level of clinical integration is made possible by a single platform for online and in-clinic treatment access, and it's underpinned by total cost of care risk contracts. I mean, all of this is truly incredible to me, Keon. And at, at a conceptual level, can you describe what orthopedic whole health is and what it looks like in practice? And how does this model lend itself so readily to delivering orthopedic care in a value-based environment? Well, thanks, Daniel, for that question. And I think you, you, you framed it pretty comprehensively. I think to really give context to what orthopedic whole person health is, that we have to recognize that our body has an infinite amount of intelligence. It's actually speaking to us in ways that are guiding us to open our eyes to different aspects of our life. So when someone comes in with knee pain, hip pain, back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, we could look at it and we have historically in a very narrow lens and think technically what is wrong? Is this tendon attached or detached? Is there arthritis? Is there not? And have a very technical approach to that that says, okay, this needs surgery, it doesn't. It's very binary. And I think orthopedic whole health takes the perspective that here's an opportunity. You've now had back pain for a week, a month, a year, maybe you failed surgery, whatever that may be, here's an opportunity to now take a pause. The vast majority of orthopedic conditions are not fractures, tumors, infections, and progressive neurologic deficits, which need surgery. Um, the vast number are not those conditions. So what is going on? And I think orthopedic whole health takes a look at the patient top down. How are you eating? How are you sleeping? What is your strength? What is your posture? What are the meds you take? Um, how do you feel? How do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about your employer? How do you feel about your loved ones? How, what's your relationship with your son, your daughter? All of these have an impact on our musculoskeletal health, which over a decade ago, we knew this empirically as, as physicians, but now there's so much evidence that really proves that all of these factors are, are impacting how I feel my pain. 
So if the whole person approach takes a look at all of these factors and really incrementally and slowly in a very thoughtful fashion looks to those that are most impactful and addresses those. Um, I think undoubtedly when we look at weight and when we look at anxiety and depression and, and other anger sort of emotions, those are going to be incredibly impactful to the hormones that are flowing through my body. Those hormones that are flowing through my body will change the physiology of the nerves. They will change how I sense pain. So that whole person approach needs to look at that person's relationship with their employer, with their loved ones. Some of the best feedback we get is that back pain is the best thing that ever happened to me because it made me look at these important relationships in my life because now I feel better every day and my back's better. But most importantly, I have better relationships. I'm sleeping better. I'm eating better. I feel good about myself. Again, this is musculoskeletal pain is like the canary in a coal mine. It's giving us an indication of something that's deeper. And, and that is what whole person orthopedic health is, is let us now open your perspective to what your muscle skeletal pain means. And almost always, it does not mean you need to have surgery. It means one of these other factors that if you're thoughtful about it, if you take responsibility, will help you be your partner let's address these modifiable factors. We have a team of experts to guide you because it's scary. When do you need this? I have a neighbor who had an MRI and they had an injection, they had a discectomy and they're back to playing sports in two weeks or four weeks. I wanna be that person. Let's, let's unravel that and let's get the experts around the table to help give you perspective. Again, your body has an incredible ability to heal itself. Let's create that environment. You may need surgery, but if you look at all these factors, 99% of the time, you most likely don't need surgery. So that's the, that's the perspective we have. And that's the perspective I've been fortunate enough as a, as a still um, partially practicing orthopedic surgeon. I, I feel like I have such a, um, a richer perspective now that I've been working in this non-operative realm for so many years, that perspective I feel like is so life-altering that I, I'm, I'm blessed to give to patients. And now the exciting thing is to do this at scale on the platform is really to help guide patients, help them feel like um, we can change that perspective of their own health and use, use musculoskeletal pain as the best thing that's happened to them. Well, Keon, this perspective that you have for value-based orthopedic care, it sounds like to me that, you know, given this whole person model, like you're almost shifting away from a, a very myopic focus on the biomedical uh, side of care delivery. And you're getting more into a convergence where you're you're integrating uh, traditional Western medicine and interventions with a, more of a biopsychosocial model. And if we look at the predominant model of MSK care delivery, I mean, orthopedic surgeons just don't have the skills that were often needed to increase comfort with discussing psycho-emotional factors that contribute to orthopedic problems and impact recovery. And I mean, you know, we've seen uh, just in the last few years with the opioid crisis, you know, reaching an epidemic proportion in our country and all the overdose rates that that's kind of emblematic of, you know, some of the issues we've seen. And in the 1990s, doctors started to view pain as a fifth vital sign. And that, I think, spawned a lot of what we saw in the overprescribing of opioids without focusing on more safer and holistic interventions because they didn't want their, uh, you know, of many things, probably they, they didn't want their 
patient satisfaction scores to suffer. And in this case, you know, pain pills, you know, became an easy way to placate patients in the short term and make them more likely to provide a higher rating on a satisfaction survey. But, you know, this emphasis on opioid treatment, it didn't correspond with an evaluation of some of the underlying factors that contribute to addiction vulnerability. And if doctors had done this, they'd be in a much better situation to address a lot of these contributing factors that lead to the emotional pain and the self-medication and the, and the addiction. So, you know, all that said, you know, as I'm thinking about your model, I'm really interested in kind of the biopsychosocial aspects of it and how it integrates concepts from other disciplines, emphasizing the kind of the multi-causality approach to health instead of that reductionist approach. As I understand, and your approach is really kind of addressing the chemical environment in the body that leads to that chronic pain. You know, as you said, it's the canary in the coal mine. Uh, and, you know, so I'm just fascinated by, I guess, you know, how you're addressing some of these complex biopsychosocial needs for your MSK patients, you know, before, during, and after they receive care and, you know, giving them the coaching, the mindfulness, the nutrition, uh, counseling, pain psychology, coaching them for addiction if they need help. You know, can you speak a little bit more to like the role that these uh, biopsychosocial factors play in pain and orthopedic recovery? And is this a, a something that we could look at at scale in our country in terms of uh, creating a new way to deliver orthopedic care? Yeah, I think the the biopsychosocial approach really applies very much so to orthopedics but you can actually replace orthopedics with chronic pain you can replace it um, with cardiac diabetes multiple other chronic diseases the this model is really best for chronic disease and i think as a country it's pretty much well agreed that we do we do acute diseases very well in the u.s we don't do a great job or i would say there's significant room for improvement with chronic diseases. In this biopsychosocial approach, again, 60 to 70% of orthopedic patients will have some degree of mostly anxiety or depression. And there's also a whole slew of other conditions that are related to shame and anger that have to do with childhood trauma. These are very prevalent also in, in multiple examples of when we were able to address that and and heal that from the past, the musculoskeletal pain goes away. Um, so again, very prevalent. Our approach has been to screen for it early on in the process. And once we appropriately screen for that, we have a dedicated module in which we launch for that patient and which that patient then has a dedicated team to engage that patient and it's usually, there's a number of different modalities. We have um, group sessions, we have one-on-one -on -one sessions, we have expressive writing techniques, um, we have specific meditations. There's a lot of techniques to really look at day-to-day um, -day how we're feeling and, and, and disassociating ourselves from that MRI report, um, disassociating ourselves from that pain that's coming from that joint and really looking at overall how we feel. Um, and that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of patience. Um, a lot of times patients aren't initially very open to that. And so I think choosing you know, the right 
partners that also have the same biopsychosocial mindset. And I think overall in healthcare, it is becoming much more prominent, but from the PCP perspective, from the employer perspective, um, making sure we're educating all patients of, of how impactful this is to our health and to chronic pain. In addition, you know, there's a lot of opioid dependence issues that are closely tied to these behavioral health issues as well. So we have a dedicated team that looks at opioid reduction, um, looks at the plans on how we can reduce those safely, um, and really understanding what it means. The CDC laid this out very clearly from a opioid perspective, it's really post-surgical and oncologic patients. Um, and as an orthopedic surgeon, I can tell you, we're still not adhering to this. Opioids are still heavily, heavily utilized. And there's a risk of addiction after a day um, that's at 12 months is less than 10%, but there's a risk of addiction even after a day of opioid usage. Um, so we really look at these factors as being really critical and the early assessment process, process to, to screen for these patients and then hand it over to our dedicated team. As you mentioned, we have mindfulness experts, um, pain psychologists that have really been trained on how to coach people in a group setting, one-on-one -on -one session, individual activities they can do on their own. And so all of these really, if, if there's one area that I've been really excited about and where I've, I feel like the, the we've invested the most and the team has done the greatest work has been this area. It's really personal to me as I've myself been in the ER three times about to get a, an invasive procedure for recurrent chest pain. And until I just took a deep breath and I took a couple of weeks off from work, I wasn't able to recognize that there are other issues going on. So I think it's incredibly common throughout all of healthcare. I think it's, you know, this is also related to a lot of the oncologic conditions we have as well. How we feel is the foundation of, of our health. It changes our entire chemical environment. And so um, I'm excited and super passionate about this space because this is how I view my own life. And to do this um, at scale with, with changing this mindset and really keeping that biopsychosocial aspect front and center, um, I think is, is really where healthcare should be going. Yeah, I love what you're telling us about the, the care that you're providing for patients and, and the benefits that they're receiving from that. And, and something else that's a, a really high priority and important to patients is consumerism, which we've you know, seen on the rise in orthopedics. But but it's mostly been oriented around surgical innovations and all of the technology enablement and communications that go along with engaging patients around the need for procedural intensity. But you've been explaining how your company's solution is different and how it treats the whole patient, not just a single condition. We can see from your consumer-centric model that you boast an industry-leading net promoter score of 94 with your patients, which is just far, it's just amazing and far outpaces the healthcare industry average of 15. And in fact, it's 20 points higher than Apple. When we think about consumerism and orthopedic consumerism, I can't help but think that you're about your employers as well. In the employer health insurance marketplace, the annual cost of MSK conditions, including healthcare costs and lost worker productivity, is around $600 billion. It's greater than the annual cost of heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. Overall, MSK spending is 20% of health, employer health spending with 30 to 40% of orthopedic care providing little to no benefit. 
How are you thinking about orthopedic consumerism in this new era of value-based care? And how has your whole person health model been able to recalibrate patient thinking about orthopedic care delivery and, and expectations? And finally, how does a model like yours align with what employers are looking for? Yeah, good question, Daniel. Our, our world is behavior change and consumerism, the significant aspect of that is seeking a quick fix. And so this is, I think, inherent in, in human nature and definitely in the US, consumerism really entails what can I consume in a short term to get me to my destination because I, I don't want to miss work. I want to get back to work. I don't want to miss a day. And I think that's the constant challenge we're facing is, is that mindset to change. So for us, we've tried to upend that. And, and I say this all the time, which is, you know, patients don't want to see the surgeon and patients don't want surgery. Patients want an expert to be advising them. That's why, you know, most of the PPO market, most of these patients go directly to their surgeon because they can. Um, and that's the vast majority of, of, of the kind of the payer structure in the country. So it's not that they necessarily <clears throat> want to see a surgeon or they want to get surgery. They want expert opinion. So for us, we've really structured our solution as a destination to change the mindset of instead of just transactionally seeing your PCP or your surgeon say, hey, my joint hurts and how do I get it better? Do I take a pill? Do I do an exercise? Does it go away? We tried to change the mindset from the first touch point of the patient to say, okay, um, this is really about now consuming an experience. And this experience is going to be different. It's going to push you in ways that you haven't been pushed before. It's going to open your mindset to other ways that you should be viewing your health and your musculoskeletal pain. And so we've taken this approach, you know, to employers as well. And I think the employer market similarly understands the criticality of, of, of having this broader mindset as the entity that is full risk and majority of, you know, large employers take or have full, full financial risk for their members. They want to ensure that the, this whole person approach um, is part of their solution. So I think it's becoming more readily adopted um, within that. I think, you know, the challenge, and I think yourself, Daniel and Eric, you guys have been mentioning this, it's really structurally what, what has been the challenge to get us to, to move more quickly. And I, and again, I love the name of the podcast, which is Race to Value. And so I think in certain areas of the market, it's been moving quickly in other areas it hasn't. But to, to, to summarize, I think we, we've seen that our consumer model is about can, can creating a musculoskeletal destination that is not transactional, that opens your mind to all different aspects of your life. And that is something that is ongoing. Um, a third of our patients engage in the maintenance program because we're not transactional, because we want to, you to continue to feel good. Um, and that will not only impact your musculoskeletal health, that'll impact your cardiac health, that'll impact your risk for any oncologic conditions, um, chronic pain. And so it's, 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 um, it's a real different mindset we're taking to that consumer model. Well, it really is, uh, you know, Keon, you know, you're, you're talking about a relationship-based, holistic, tech-enabled 
orthopedic care model that is quite different than the reactive episodic transactional uh model for care that we have and you know you you've you've had uh, great results we've talked about that and you mentioned earlier about how fast we can move this and it really comes down to you know creating platforms that can scale and i know you've been thinking a lot about that you know just for our listeners so they understand you know spine zone your company it has uh, several large medical groups um, in Southern California, you're, you've had six years of data and really personalizing care pathways for back pain treatment and, and orthopedic care have had great results. And just recently, a press release uh, was, came out about Lavara, and Lavara is an interdisciplinary orthopedic whole health company. At essence, it's really the platform that allows scalability, and it's powered by a continuous flow of data and machine learning and uh, really outcomes improvement modeling that, that is really needed for healthcare providers to, to, to create these types of whole person care models. Uh, Keon, can you speak a little bit about SpineZone and where Lavara fits in, and ultimately, how are you building the company to scale value-based orthopedic care in the country? Yeah, so... SpineZone was really built to, um, you know, be our lab here in Southern California to constantly test our improvements and protocols. Um, we have now partnered with, as you mentioned, a number of medical groups. It's been a real strategic partnership to make sure we're um, understanding total cost of care. These are claims-based analyses and actuary analyses being done so we could have what we consider the gold standard of the data, which is both the clinical data and the financial data for an entire population, not just a select cohort that are engaging digitally or not, but the entire, every dollar spent on orthopedic care for a population, how does our cohort do versus those that don't engage with our solution? So that has been over the last 15 years, we've been able to really um, create the clinics, create the platform to do that on a local basis. That learning has then got us to the point where we have you know, 100,000 patients, we have over 5 million data points, and now a data science team that has now said, okay, the spine is where we started. We realize this applies to all of, all of orthopedics, and we now have a um, machine learning-based system that can be used to to partner other health systems. And so we created Lavara to rep represent this expansion of all of our body parts, but also the software and care management system to help other, um, other health systems in the country, other rehab programs do it more efficiently. We created an end-to-end -end solution that was both able to integrate fully digitally and fully on-site and the whole um, hybrid model in between, um, which we see a lot of the vast majority of patients engage, which is some on-site and a lot um, of digital in-between visits. I think that's where the vast majority of patients engage. And so we're really excited to now build in our intelligence. There's a lot of, of data-driven um, algorithms. There's a lot of our, you know, our clinical understanding that's built in to really get to what we see as this optimized care model, which is we really need to understand you and accurately get an initial diagnosis of what's going on. And that is diagnosis in that all things included that are contributing to your 
current symptom. And now we need to have a whole slew of solutions that we very thoughtfully, and our data team has, has created our risk scoring so we can understand when to apply the appropriate resources to the appropriate person, right patient, right care at the right time. Um, so that is exactly how we use our risk scoring to understand which patients to give which interventions so we can do it efficiently. And again, we can now have a turnkey solution to give to other systems through the LaVar platform who want to transition to value-based care more quickly. Um, in line with this race to value, we thought, okay, a lot of people, again, I've been out doing this solely for the last eight years and been you know, passionate about the space for well over a decade. A lot of the feedback I hear from CEOs running different health systems and just talking to majority of the health plans in the country, it's it's the how. They realize they want to get there. It's the how do we get there. And so we've tried to take some of that pain point away and say, okay, well, here's a here's a turnkey solution that is able to help transition your system so you can be empowered to do this. It's taken us a while to build, and we now want to kind of enable others to move more quickly. Well, Keon, we are definitely in a race to make value work in this country, and I commend you for the great work that you're doing at SpineZone and now with the platform Lavara to really create scalability and impact in our industry to provide more value-based care delivery and outcomes uh, for patients undergoing uh, uh, various orthopedic needs. Um, this is such important work. You know, I just wanted to kind of give you um, an opportunity to leave some parting thoughts for our listeners as we uh, finish up our conversation today, but uh, maybe provide some uh, some optimism for our listeners that are trying to figure this out and uh, succeed in value-based care. What can they do in terms of uh, making an impact in orthopedic care? Yeah, I would say the the one departing thought I would have would be that our our country still today is is predominantly in a fee-for-service model and so we're not structured in a way that is optimal for value-based care i would say we need more podcasts like this eric and what you're doing getting the word out that is we're on a path that is not sustainable um, we need more people to have a long-term mindset and i think the in an optimistic viewpoint, I'm I, I, I'm really optimistic that more people are standing up and are investing in the future and, and don't necessarily have a short-term mindset about this. If we continue to have a short-term mindset, we can, in the short term, make a lot of money in orthopedics and a fee-for-service model. However, the need to change is, is critical right now. And I think the whenever we're well aligned with the patient and what's right for the patient, that's what's going to be transformational. And I think that's the one encouraging thing and the inspiring thing that uh, gets us excited as a company is that we're incredibly aligned with the patient. We're over-investing in the patient. And it's been a challenge as a company because the payment models haven't fully caught up. But I would encourage all the listeners to stay aligned with the patient, stay fundamentally focused on that model, and the rest will align itself around that. And we can create a better environment for our payers. We can create a better environment for our patients if we keep that as our true guiding light. Very well said, Dr. Keon Rise today. Thank you so much 
for the time you've shared with us today. And thank you even more for your impressive leadership and advancing this race to value. Great. Thanks, you guys.